0: You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artists intended to demystify the classical music and opera art form. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available via Spotify and Audioboom. That way, you'll hear about the latest podcasts as they become available. Be sure to follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter or on Facebook, and you'll find the blog at ThoroughlyGood.me. And there's one more thing to mention. This podcast relies on the generosity of others to keep it going. If you're someone who has supported the podcast already, be assured that you will receive, eventually, a Thoroughly Good badge as a measure of my thanks. If you're someone who likes the idea of receiving a badge, or indeed joining the throng of discerning individuals who have supported the podcast already, please head over to the Thoroughly Good blog at ThoroughlyGood.me, where you'll find a donate button, Anything you can spare would be very much appreciated. Hello, Podcast 46. Podcast 46. I didn't really think we'd get this far. I cannot wait to get to 50. That will be a delicious number to say out loud. Uh, anyway, Podcast 46 features Jan young husband, a TV commissioning editor working in the BBC's music department based in Broadcasting House on the 8th floor where Radio 1 is based with all the young groovy people... She is responsible for this year's BBC PROMS TV coverage. The podcast was recorded shortly after the press launch for the PROMS TV coverage which this year is produced by an external TV production company headed up by a former UK Eurovision producer and the director of the TV output when the UK last hosted the competition back in 1998. It's the first time the BBC's most potent musical brand will have its TV coverage produced by people other than in-house staff. For those of us interested in how things look and sound on television, that's an interesting development. The Proms is, for most people at least, a TV or a radio experience. I haven't got any data on it, obviously, but I'd wager that the majority experience The Proms as a piece of broadcasting first rather than an in-hall affair. So how the Proms presents its core content, classical music, isn't just a statement on what producers and directors and commissioning editors think is right for the country's publicly funded broadcaster, but also, given that it's perhaps the only point in the year when the majority experience live classical music, broadcast or otherwise, it's also a statement on the narrative we are telling the audience about the art form. In other words the kind of thing people like me with an axe to grind or unspent cynicism to deploy crawl all over like a rash. Jan provides the details on what you can expect on TV this summer at the beginning of this interview. There are moments in the 50 minutes that follow when I perhaps finally understood what TV people are looking for in presenters and commentators. Jan is emphatic And I like that, even if at times her enthusiasm caused a little bit of technical interference. The podcast would have been 51 minutes long had it not have been for a slightly unfortunate moment, five minutes before the end. For those not already in the know, the BBC's PR department demands that a BBC handler is present in all interviews with external press. Jan has a busy schedule, which is why I was instructed to wrap things up. Profuse apologies from my host concluded my visit. Would it be okay to edit out the interruption? Why, of course. I replied. There's absolutely no problem with that at all. My name. No. My address. <laughs> yeah. And my your bank account number. number my bank account number. My. I'd like you to tell me what Facebook
1: password. What no. did you
0: have for breakfast this morning, please, Daniel? Um.
1: Do you know what the interesting thing is that I didn't have breakfast, but what I would normally have is I'd normally stop at. Pret and get myself porridge with that nice, nice gritty stuff on the top, and Granola. a skinny and a, a skinny uh, and a skinny latte. But because I was nearly late this morning, because BBC Four won Channel of the Year in the Broadcast Awards last night. Well, wow, you mailed you mailed one key message, already Yeah, um, that's a key message. But you wow. are a commissioning
0: editor, so surely there's no such thing as late. I mean, you're allowed to be late, aren't you?
1: Well, I'm. Do you know what I'm usually on time? I mean, I'm actually fastidious about time, and I think it's because my mother said always turn up 15 minutes before and I think I've had a guilt thing about that ever since
0: so she was never late to anything
1: I don't know I'd never asked her that (laughs) I just did exactly what she said because she was always right
0: (laughs) Um, wow wow that's far more information than I anticipated Uh, Uh, what else did your mum teach you
1: well interestingly what did my mum teach me um that's 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 an interesting question, Ray, really, because she was actually a rather marvellous cook, but she, it's more that what she didn't teach me, because she was a spontaneous cook, and she could just make meringues, and you'd go, how did you make those meringues? And they were perfect, because they were crisp on the outside and squidgy on the inside. And she was so annoying, she'd just go, oh, you just chuck this in here, and you chuck that in there, and she, she could just cook, and I'm afraid I've never been able to make Watson. a successful meringue, so it's, you clearly do not inherit that.
0: <laughs> no. It is clearly
1: something that you just have or you don't um, have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I can uh, boil a good egg though. But yeah, but meringues are very difficult to make.
1: They are. But yes. she could make perfect ones every time and she didn't measure anything.
0: I'm sensing some bitterness. No, no, it's no? just envy. Okay. I think it's envy. envy. Okay. <laughs> so long as it's envy, that's all right. It's envy. <laughs> um why why are we here, Jan Young husband?
1: Well, I don't know. Why are you here?
0: Well, tell me why. Oh, you want what, me to tell you why I'm Tell me, me, tell tell me, I'm me here. what you're selling. What, what I, are you selling? Know, what am
1: I selling? It's the proms, isn't it? In it. It's that time of year. It's the proms, and um, the glorious thing that is the greatest classical music festival in the world.
0: And what specifically are you talking about today?
1: And my well, my lovely job is to put it on TV uh, as much of it as we we can, and we put. So this year we're 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 doing 25 concerts on television, and we're doing seven. Uh, seven magazine programs on bbc2 so they're going to run as eight to nine perfect weekends of classical music with the concerts on friday and sunday on bbc4 and the magazine program on saturday on bbc2 and that's (laughs) That's very well remembered
0: that is very well remembered. and i can remember that much uh what is exciting about that well really i mean i know i know that you're required so it's exciting but actually what excites you about that
1: well what's exciting about that is to bring Um, these beautiful concerts to the broader audience through television obviously all the proms are live on radio uh, but what television does is actually show you the artists and more than just listening to them And, um, and actually our audience listens to the concert on the radio and then watches the television because they get a different narrative in the television and they also get to see the artists so our audience does both and sometimes they do three things because they actually come to the concert then listen back to it on radio and then watch it on television and then they write to me and they talk to me about how they've done all three things. So our audience oh, is very, annoying. very... <laughs> no, no, they're, they're very informative. And if you've left something out, they notice immediately. But no, they... Um, no, it's... Uh, the proms are a very, very special thing for our audience and a very beautiful thing. And, and this year, um, as in every year, we're trying to refresh them a bit. And this year I'm very excited about it because we're going to bring... Um, this amazing world of incredible young artists onto the screen this year. So the plan for the presentation lineup is to bring the practitioners into the presentation lineup. And we've always put the musicians centre screen, you know, we've had musicians presenting programs. Daniel and Denise has made programs for us, always they, you know, the, the practitioners making the programs, as well as our expert presenters. Um, but we're in a world where we have this amazing new wave now of young talent coming through. And I want our audience to be able to meet them um and so throughout the prom season you will be able to meet them so sheku will be there and nikki benedetti will be there and uh isata canny mason and uh but, but most significantly perhaps is that jess gillam who was amazing on the proms last year she's going to be one of our presenters this year so you're going to have a great mix of uh, established presenters um you know expert guests And then the actual young practitioners themselves telling us how it's going to be done. And I'm hoping by having them there, um, because the proms audience is a very broad audience, from very young people to the old audience, obviously. It's a very broad age range. range. Um, I'm hoping that these younger voices will speak to their own generation as well as the core proms audience.
0: I don't envy your role, because actually when I hear you tell me all of those things um, I can feel a little bit of me clam up a bit because, you know, I love the problems and I love a classical music concert, Mm. but, but I have noticed recently, um, and I don't know whether it's because I'm cynical or sceptical that there is a tremendous push towards, uh, the representation of young people in classical music and certainly within the record industry and in classical music presentation and, uh, as a, I can say this now as a license fee payer, I find that mildly annoying because I sort of look at <clears throat> I look at people like Jess and Shaku and Iatata mm. and think you 're at the be- beginning of your careers, you 're at the beginning mm. of your development and sometimes I feel a little bit like they are being seen as at the pinnacle of their development.
1: No, not at all. I, I don't agree. I mean, the BBC has a long history of putting the talent on screen. I mean, look at Jackie Dupre and Daniel Bamboyne when they started out all those great films that Christopher Newton made. I mean, you know, Jackie was 16 when she made her debut at the Wigmore Hall and Christopher Newton went and filmed them and they were the most exciting thing you'd ever seen. And I think, you know, what The Proms has is, you know, at the one one end you have Bernard Heitink who's 90 and about to retire and, um, you know, and then at the other end you've got Jess who's so young and, you know, coming to present. So I think, you know, it's not just one or the other, it's the range of it and classical music. I mean, I started playing the piano when I was four um and uh you know so you know why because my father played and you know you had the piano in the house and I started playing but you know the but I think the classical music has a very broad age range and um you know so it's you that's what we express on television we show we have expert opinion across the age ranges
0: has there been a shift though I don't mean in terms of this is not a obviously I'm sitting in a BBC building. I'm not here to criticise the BBC, even though it might sound like I'm. Yeah, but you're saying but, are we putting too much whether... store
1: by young people, but on the other hand I think the BBC has always put young people on screen a you little know, BBC Young a is putting young people young screen. is putting young people on screen little bit of a 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 know bit of a little bit of going little bit The, world. the proms this year are going to be are going to bit of a little The narrative and everything we say is going to not just be about the proms but like what's going on in the classical music world so we've got clive gillinson he used to run the lso he's coming from america he runs carnegie hall now he started the first national youth orchestra in the states uh, what five years ago now they have three national youth orchestras because there are so many young people who want to play classical music and be in orchestras and you know, Nile Rogers, who we've made many films with, told me that when he was a child in America, there was an orchestra in every school. Mm. So Nile Rogers started in an orchestra. Elton John is classically trained. You know, that was something that was everyday life, which we've lost. And, and now, you know, we see that, you know, when you open up the world and you say, here it is, do you want to come in? you know people want to come and play and they want to take part so i think there's a you know it's a very it's a, it's part of the topical world of classical what's going on and you couldn't possibly do the proms and not mention the vibrant young talent that's coming through which is the next generation uh right through you know to simon rattle and the senior generation who are you know like bernard heitink who's actually you know who's going to retire probably and um this might be the last time we see him at the prom. So,
0: do you think there's been a shift, been a shift in the industry recently? I feel a as shift. though I've noticed a shift in the industry towards um, uh, speaking, talking more openly about classical music, better, more positively, mm. and more sort of, there's a, sense, a greater sense of inclusion. Uh, I sort of, I feel as though I Hmm. see that in record industry strategies and and broadcasters and radio stations. But I don't know whether that's a bias that I hold because I'm interested in that particular world. I wonder from your perspective whether you sense that shift.
1: I don't know because I can't, you know, I don't run a label and I can't, you know, I don't run a concert hall. But I know certainly that our job in television is to be representative of modern Britain. And it's very important that how we present ourselves is totally inclusive. And that's a very important thing. So across all our output, uh, we try to get appropriate people to do appropriate things. So this year, one of our top presenters and radio producers, Clara Ampru, we've got a Nina Simone late-night prom, and she's going to present that. So, you know, the whole thing of who talks about what is very carefully thought through because, A, because you want it to be really interesting. <laughs> so it's important you you have people that got something to say. And that also it's it's representative of, you know... The, the modern Britain that we live in and it's topical and it's about now and the Proms is an amazing place to do that because I kind of I want our audience to come to the end of this year and feel that they know where they are in the classical music world not just what happened at the Proms but what's going on in the world of it and what's important to know in the world of it and so are the people who speak for us on television uh, will be speaking about all these things not just what happened on the Proms last night is so that... it's not it's not a review show it's not a review situation it's a let's look at what's going on in classical music through the lens of the proms on television
0: how do people need to talk differently about the subject now
1: um well I don't I don't know that you need to make any concessions I mean when Pavarotti sang and Dorma at the football he just sang the aria and I, and I remember my father who was alive then said I can't believe that aria is so famous and it was never even that spectacular in aria and of course now it's the only aria anyone's ever heard of but i do think that the um um i do think that we just want to go straight at it uh, we're, we're not saying oh let's get this person in because you're not going to understand i mean our audience knows their music and they love music and you know whether you're new to classical or not um i think people people will come to to it if you present it straight up Uh, You don't need to apologise, you don't need to make it easy, you you just need to show what it is, because I think our audience understands genius when they hear it. It's quite clear.
0: Um, I read in an interview that you gave that... What did I say? Oh Oh my God! Oh my God. Uh, You said in an interview that you recognised that classical music was something which spoke to people in a way that words can't...
1: Oh yes, well that's something very much I think. So that it, you know, you
0: feel reassured now, don't you? No, yeah, no, I, God, I thought you, I thought you were going to
1: ask me a terrible nice. question. And I was going to faint in the seat. He's
0: done some research.
1: Oh my God, he's mugged up on me. Um, uh, no, I thought. Thank God, it sounds like actually quite an interesting thing to say. I thought no, it was I have have you, you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me I was going to go. God, why did I say that? No, um, no. Seriously though, I just think you know. I do all all the music television on the BBC, and I've had some very profound moments in my career here. Uh, One Love Manchester was incredible, and uh, the brave the bravery of Ariana Grande to go back to Manchester and do that concert in the face of the disaster, the tragic tragic disaster there, and then to see the victims, the families, the police force, everyone turn up to that concert, and you're there and you think this is completely amazing because music has brought everyone together, and um, you know the, I think. Classical music has always been that place where everyone can come. You know, it's it's you know even if you're listening to an opera in Italian, you're still moved by it. Even if you don't understand all the words, I mean, it's uh, the, the emotional expression of the music which draws people together. And I think that's why music matters so much because mm-hmm. it's somewhere you can go and be together. That's uh, sort of without boundaries. I think. But unless you don't like the music, in which case you don't go. <laughs> <But>. <laughs>
0: Uh, discuss. Uh, yes, indeed. Discuss. Okay. Well, th- yeah. maybe that's for another another episode. Uh, but I just wonder whether that is a what I was interested in in that quote was that that I totally understand that there there are there certainly when I listen to a Mahler symphony or oh
1: yeah I love Mahler
0: or, or when I'm listening to Wagner I can I get it
1: transports you
0: yeah I, I'm taken somewhere where where words just aren't sufficient. But but that's taken me a long time to get to that point point. Oh, that I'm might take detect- no you don't need to apologize <laughs> um, but it's taken a long time I think I got there point. when I
1: was four years old I oh, you? yeah you? no but I mean I when I was a young child my father was a surgeon in Portsmouth he'd come home late at night and he'd sit down and play Chopin and I I would be in my bed at night woken by my father playing Chopin and um it was transporting and um then eventually one day when I could sit up at the piano, I used to sit up and try to play Chopin too, which wasn't wow, nearly okay. as
0: successful. You were an ambitious as, child. Well, <laughs> I
1: didn't know how difficult it was. Uh, but, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you you learn fear, I think. You just think, oh, have a go at that. Uh, it wasn't quite as good as my dad. But, um, but you know, his way, of, you know, and he was a cancer surgeon and in those days, you know, a lot of people had no chance of survival um and um you know he 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 saw a lot of tragedy and he'd come home and just play the piano for an hour and a half but you know i think that was his way of working out his feelings and i think music you know is a very good thing for all of us not just to be you know you don't have to be a professional classical pianist but you know music has a profound effect on people and i think we all have the music that we like and the music that inspires us and it, it's subjective so you and i if we went for a pint, we'd probably agree that we didn't like all the same music, but that's how it should be, like art. Do you drink
0: pints? No, actually
1: Guinness, half a Guinness. uh, yeah, half a Guinness, yeah. Oh, I can't drink pints. I think they're they're frightening, they're too big.
0: I wasn't expecting you to say Guinness, that's quite a... I love Guinness. Quite a meaty drink, isn't
1: it? I know, but if you've been to Ireland and had a Guinness, you'll you'll never get over it, it's so beautiful.
0: Uh, The reason I'm asking you about this quote uh, is because uh, I get it, uh, and it's taken me a long time to get to that point. Uh,
1: Did I inspire you with my quote? Is that well, what it you're saying? Well, you inspired me to ask this question.
0: Oh, cool. Um, I can sense that that's really important to you. Um, uh, but what I don't see is people talking about that very subject, uh, about the way in which uh, particularly around classical music. My, well, everybody
1: I know talks about it all the time.
0: But I don't see it oh. on air, and I certainly I don't see it on television so much. I I sense that that people sort of fear going to that place or talking about. I think music I think I context. think
1: well, I mean, it makes you cry, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I how many how, how many that's times? Point I mean, I go to the opera to see an opera. I've seen a hundred times. Used to work in opera, and and it, and it shreds me every time. You know, every time the last act of Rose and Cavalier completely shreds me every time I see it. And and even though I know what's going to happen the music completely moves me beyond belief. And I think that's that's the thing. And I think uh, maybe it, music can take you into an emotional space that's actually quite frightening. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, what do you do when you bust up from your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever? You go and listen to some sad music and you cry your eyes out i mean music reduces you to tears i mean words can, but that
0: is an indul- cruel a, words can reduce you in, to tears is so. that not an indulgent act though if you if you oh. are already sad surely you've had watching, your
1: heart broken uh, yes
0: on. but and i listened to elton john and it made me feel a whole lot worse which elton john do you Ooh, listen sorry to? sorry seems to be the hardest oh thing. my god I I have you seen rocket man though
1: uh yes i have oh it's shredding rocket man isn't it um, i want love but it's impossible you didn't you think are, I'd sing, did you? No,
0: you are the first exhibitor <laughs> who has actually sung. Um,
1: I can give you an aria. No, okay, no. Thanks. I mean, that's
0: a, but sorry. Oh, that's I'm so upset. I was. I
1: thought this was an audition.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, you've misunderstood. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, they
1: never tell me the truth about what I'm doing.
0: But do you do you not do you recognise what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do actually. Do, so, is there a resistance to talking about this art form because it is an art form in the way that you and I are now? Mm. Because. Well, but some people we're getting... say that that, that that puts people off.
1: But, you know, the, the, trouble, the awfully annoying thing is that we're about to make a series for BBC Four about exactly this. And it's not announced yet, so I can't tell you. Um, but we are actually doing a series about um, why we feel the way we do with music. And actually, in the past, there have been series, because there has been a lot of discussion about this, because there was Anthony Storr's book about music in the mind, Um and that was made into television series, gosh, 20 years ago. But that was all about why if I blow a trumpet in your ear, you, you it sends your temperature up or something. It's, it was to do more with the chemical reaction in the body to sounds. Um, and now we're making... Uh, 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 we're sort of following up with the new thoughts about uh, hu- our humanity's um, core... Uh, connection to music because some scientists say that we sang before we spoke for instance and that music makes the speech neurons of the brain grow and so on so we're doing a series of bbc that looks at our profound more profound relationship with music and why we need it that it's more than just a night out it's actually as important to us as you know food and 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 water and wine wine you were going to say wine and guinness particularly
0: guinness (laughs) um who is your target audience who is your ideal audience is it people like me well or is it people not like me no well i think
1: i think we have we have we have several audiences we have the core audience we have the radio three audience we have we we have very expert audiences that you know can write to me and say, "Oh, I know the Kirkle numbers of all the Mozart's, you know," and you go, "That's fabulous." And then,
0: but <laughs> of no use. Jay. And then you have
1: the 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 other end of the audience, who will say, "I'm interested in classical music, but I don't really know what to come to." And I think the success of our filmmaking is to be able to speak to all those audiences in one go. So you're being fascinating to the people that know everything. Uh, for instance, I once made a film about equal temperament. And I thought, God, I know about equal temperament. And I made this film and then I knew more about equal temperament than I did before. And I'm a classically trained musician, so I didn't think I could know more. But the way this presenter explained it, I understood it better. Um, When
0: did you make that film?
1: Oh, about 15 years ago. Would you make it now? um, Yeah, because I think there's always something else to say and to to unpack how music is working on us and what it means. And... um, I mean, I, for instance, um, Opera North did a concert performance of The Ring at the South Bank. And um, I've worked on The Ring in Bayreuth uh, in my in my youth. And um, I thought I knew that opera really well. The The whole point of reinterpreting it it, it is that you understand it differently. So, you, so our understanding of a great piece of classical music grows and grows. That's why we listen to it over and over with... You know, whether Simon Rattle's conducting or you know Daniel Barenboim or Bernstein or you know um, Kanderakis or you know who's conducting, you want to. You're 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 learning more the more you hear it as other people interpret it. So it's you receiving it, but the interpreter the interpreter of it is part is very important to how you receive it. So it's two things.
0: I feel as though maybe I'm dancing around the subject and I need to ask a slightly more direct question. Oh God. But certainly when I was... This is not, this is I'm not gonna your put my, fault. I'm going to put my crash helmet on me. No, this is not your fault. But certainly when I was at the BBC, I remember wanting to to make stuff about classical music. Yes. Not necessarily television, radio stuff, or, yeah. or stuff. And you think and people I reme- you? I remember there being, <clears throat> I remember there being conversations with with people who first of all said... You know too much. You oh, yeah. know too much detail about classical music, and yes. that isn't really what the audience wants. And then I no. would talk to other people, and they go, "Actually, you're being too frivolous about it. You need to be more serious about classical music." And it either <laughs> either I wasn't really reading the writing on the wall, or or it really was that there were mixed messages. And and I kind of. I kind of left here and have watched uh, prom seasons after that and sort of thought, I wonder whether actually I'm one of those... I and a lot of other people like me are one of those weird audience Mm. groups in that people like you don't need to preach to me because we're always going to listen to it. Do you see what I I mean?
1: Yes, I I do see that, but I think, you know, it's what I call the washing machine manual. You know, it's not a manual. You know, Beethoven was born in Bonn and he wrote nine symphonies. Actually, there were ten. And, you know... It's not that the way television works is through opinion and through a lens into a story. So, you know, I don't need what I call the washing machine manual, which is, you know, uh, the Wikipedia entry about Beethoven. I want somebody to stand up and go, this symphony brought down a whole civilization. bam. Like Valdemar Januszczyk in his opening line of any arts programme would have you utterly gripped, and you go, how, what? You know, they're great stories told by people who've got a unique and unique thing to say about it. And your opinion about Marla 5 is just as interesting as my opinion. But the thing is, am I going to be interested in you telling me your opinion? And how riveting can you be about telling me that actually Marla 5 was actually Marla 6? Because it's like what I would say, Kennedy and the Three Bullets. You know, there was a famous film made about by a dear director friend of mine, Steve Ruggie, about how Kennedy was shot by three bullets And they had all the diagrams and the explanations. And you got to the end of the film and you thought, yeah, there were three bullets. There wasn't. There was one bullet. And last year they did a film about how there was one bullet and how the CIA man shot him. And you're going, well, that's outrageous. That was on Channel 5. I thought, that's outrageous. He was shot by his own guard. But, you know, that's another opinion. And that's how we work in television. It's like here is a fascinating person that you'd want to go to have dinner with and listen to everything they said about it. you. You, know, you could talk to me about Marla and what you think of Marla because you love Marla, and I'd be fascinated by that. And so it's about your passion for your subject and, and how you communicate that to the audience. And that's how we try to speak to our audience, not, oh, well, let's make it simple because you don't know anything, or let's make it more complicated because you're an expert. We just go, here is a riveting opinion, and I'm going to tell you a great story about something. Here is the thing you thought you knew, but I'm going to make you see it differently. And how that's you, how we function.
0: How do you think it's changed? Because, you know, I grew up on... Well, that's you our... Know, slightly tense. Oh, she's angry. No, no, no. Uh, but how do you... You know, I grew up on Richard Baker.
1: Oh, yes, no. I how don't. has it
0: changed then? I get... Well, the, I, I watched... Get...
1: Well, my mother tells me that I I watched... She showed me the BBC's film of A Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra, conducted by Malcolm Sargent, with all the orchestral players in suits and apparently I was, I don't know, tiny and she she said my I said apparently why is the bank why are the bank managers playing the violin because I don't know how I thought it was a bank manager <laughs> where I got that from but you know classical music was this very formal you know unapproachable thing but even as a young child the music still spoke to me regardless of the picture and that's what I mean is that but these days you know we think so much about the the visual how we Convey something visually because you're asking an audience to sit down for two hours and watch something. So there's the music, there's the interpretation of the music. It's what you say about the music, but it's also is it a compelling thing to look at?
0: You haven't answered my question. What was the question? Hey, Sorry. Oh, you, you not remember the question? Oh, oh um, God! Tell me the question. How has it changed then? How's, uh, I get your your approach. your I well, I think, how I think what's changed.
1: Change, I think what's changed in classical is its ability to be less formal, and and by being less formal, it it allows people in. I also think that um musicians are you know we have a great generation now of musicians who are very articulate um and can speak well about what they do simon rattle you know the, all these musicians are so articulate and interesting and um and I, I think they do that with ease you know as opposed to i you know when i was a child you always felt everything was rather formal but but now i you think everything's not everything like much... the
0: formal thing
1: well i i thought it was a bit alienating because i thought i was being preached at by a teacher but it's not, you know, there was very much a style of sit down and I will tell you what you need to know about this. People talking at you. I think now it's much more of a conversation with our audience. Technology has enabled our audience to tweet, to be in touch, to discuss online and stuff. So it's, it's a much more open dialogue. And we, we listen to our audience. I mean, I listen to our audience all the time. I'm tweeting with them all the time and they're constantly sending me notes saying, have you tried this? Have you tried that? It's very important. I listen to them. And if they ask for stuff, we try and do it. You know, so it's much more of a dialogue with the audience now, because uh, the digital world has opened up that dialogue
0: well, so what and about... made me
1: more accessible to to our audience, because they can contact me directly. Whereas oh. when I first started in television, the, you know, the the audience would write you a letter from, you know, get beautifully beautifully penned letters from members of the audience saying, "I watched your beautiful program." And, I mean, the most classic one I had was this person wrote to me saying, "That dance program you put on the other night." was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was this, it was that. And I was reading this thing thinking, what a joy... I joyous... did a dance No, I said, no, no I, I used to do dance as well as music. But I was watching this thing, reading this thing, God, this is the most beautiful letter I've ever had. And then it went... But you could feel a but was coming. <laughs> oh. And this was a beautiful dance film made by Will Tuckett and, and um, the Quay Brothers. And it was, It's called The Sandman, it was beautiful. And they said, but... There was just one thing: when you are shooting dance, you must always show the feet. And in your film, you cut off their feet all the time. But actually, that actually. was a. But actually, that was a very sensible comment because choreography is the whole body, not just part of it. And so, when you make a film and you cut off half the body, you're you're not seeing the whole choreography. And I suppose so. That was, you know, that kind of comment from the audience is very interesting because they're noticing that and they're asking and then there, there is a correct way to do that.
0: Did you not respond to that letter in any way slightly defensively, even internally, at the time?
1: No, because I... I mean, I know... You know, obviously... I don't know how, how to say it's right, but I value what the audience have to say even when they're criticising me. Um, usually what the audience have to say is very, very interesting. If they criticise, it's usually because something's not quite Right. I mean, one man wrote to me and said, there's no, I used to look after dance, ballet and dance here until five years ago, um, as well as music and events. But um, a member of the audience wrote to me, an elderly member of the audience, he said, there is no dance on television, we have just done a dance season. Mm. And so I rang him up, he was so amazed, he said, good heavens, you phoned me up. And I said, yes. I said, why don't you come for tea? So he came for tea. And I said, I just want to know why you think there's no dance on the BBC. I
0: brought him into the building yeah, to ask can, him. Yeah, and I
1: made him a cup of tea and he he was it. And I said, look, why do you think there's no dance on the BBC? And he said, well, there isn't. I I watch BBC all the time and there's no dance. And I said, we just did a dance season. But what I realised from that was that he did not know there was a dance season on the BBC. So there was something wrong with it. We weren't telling our audience that it was there. And he, as a, a senior gentleman was not looking at websites and stuff. He just turns on his telly and looks. And interestingly, it wasn't trailed. And and so he didn't know it was there and he missed it. Um, and so that was very helpful. It, was, it came as a criticism, but it was very informative uh, because we need to understand that the senior generation maybe, you know, can't find the iPlayer or whatever. How do they know where it is? And that is a major problem because we want them to get it.
0: Would it surprise you if... Would it surprise yes. you? If it, would it surprise you if I told you that I often watch the proms and get quite annoyed?
1: What, what annoys you?
0: Um, presenters. Mm. People saying that things are absolutely amazing.
1: Mm.
0: Are telling me that they're going to be amazing. Telling me yeah, no, how long something is going to be before before it's played. And I sometimes when I feel did as naughty... Did Pudding? do you, that? Pardon.
1: I didn't know he did that.
0: Uh, I have experienced that. I'm oh. not saying that you are personally yeah. responsible for well, that. I think I should be. Um, I'm not blaming you. Mm. I'm just saying that I, I see why people get get uh, exercised about it. Mm. And I, I see why they would feel motivated mm. to contact somebody.
1: I like it when they contact me, though, because they're, they're the people who want to watch it. And if they're not happy, that's really important. And even if it's only one person not happy, they still matter. I mean, just because... It's not about how many people are unhappy. It's about one person writing saying, I didn't like that, and having a dialogue about it. It's really important. They're already It's
0: never, for me, it's and never... And it's interesting what they say. It, it's, it's never really about the content, of the, content uh, of, the, of the concert. It's always about the context that is put around it and the way in which no, that I is delivered. No, I think I know, and, but I think
1: you're absolutely uh, right in that because it's what I call back to the washing machine manual. It's about what are you actually saying in those 30 seconds you have before the music starts... And um, you don't need to tell me it's a lovely day or in the Albert Hall because I can see because I've got it's got a picture. Um, how do you how do you do that? And actually, we talk about we've talked about that a lot. And, and actually, this year on the Proms, uh, we're changing the presentation position. Um, we're changing the position of the um, Proms magazine show. It's going to be called Proms Encore this year. It's going to be situated in Hyde Park, uh, in a bandstand, looking back over the hall, with the audience so the general public can come around it. Um, so, we're hoping that it's going to just be much more in the action um, and it's going to have a different a different kind of narrative and a bit less of, isn't it a lovely day and isn't this music perfect? But, you know, it's much that, more. It's that, yeah, it's that, that probably works out the wrong way. And I know, that's oversimplifying it. No, no, but I think that can happen. And when we see that happen, we try to stop that happening. And, you know, obviously with presenters, we encourage them to get straight to the point because actually, within a lot of the proms, you know, you only have a very short space of time before the music begins. Mm. And so it's very important that you say something that really matters, and not just waffle. Um, and so it's a, you know it's a good point, and we think about that all the time how to get that to work. Sometimes you know the, the artists are uh, you know late coming onto the stage or something, and we a presenter has to fill. Um, but usually there are lines that we you know we've worked out in advance. Okay, if the conductor is late or the soloist is late on stage, uh, what other you know, helpful information can we say?
0: I always want intelligent vamping until ready. Yes, that's, intelligent bumping to already, That's yes. what I want. And well, I if think I that's how sense it should be, probably. If I sense that it's not um, meeting my intelligence requirements, mm. and I know that's a very difficult thing for you to perceive. So it would be OK. So,
1: OK, I'm going to turn it on you then. Uh, so you're introducing Marla Five for the proms. What were the, first, what were the three sentences you'd say before Simon Rattle walks on?
0: Well, we'd need to talk about the fee first. Oh! I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, I can see what you're we doing. We can't afford I can see you, where, I, I I can see what you're doing. We can't afford really you. No, um, to... uh, okay. So what did you make of Bernstein's programmes then? If you felt as though those early programmes were being a bit preachy, what did you make of Bernstein's sort of Sunday afternoon programme?
1: Well, the thing is that you can't look at them in a modern way because they were pieces of their time, but they were extraordinary. And Winter Masalis also did a series about music, which was completely extraordinary. And when I came to the BBC, I thought, hmm, I'll copy that. And I got it out of the library. But they are... They they, they worked because of their, where they were in their time. And those, those Bernstein... Those young people's concerts were very profound things. And actually, we got... They're in the basement here at the BBC. I've looked at them. And we thought, can we get them out and show them again? But they are period pieces. And... And I don't... I mean, we do show the archive, of course, but um, we've looked at me and thought, well, would they really translate now in the way they did then? Because for me as a child, the the only reason why I know about classical music is because of the BBC, because it was on the BBC, and that's where you got it. Um, Because I grew up in Portsmouth and there wasn't anything. But, you know, it was there on television, though, and that's where I learnt it. And I think television has a very important... um, Role to give access to the great music, and that's why the proms are so amazing. So, they
0: they did speak to you then as a child,
1: yeah, in that time.
0: Uh, and in that and time. how do, do you recall how now you connected we, to now them? Now, we
1: would do it differently, we do it differently.
0: But, do you recall then how you can what, what spoke I've, to you about them?
1: Yeah, um, well, because he's he was very entertaining, he was very engaging, and for me, as a very young child, it didn't bother me that he was obviously much older than me, <laughs> like my dad talking to me. But you know, but he's a very compelling figure, and he's very alive and animated. What he was saying was so interesting. and um, But even if you didn't understand it, he, it's just his method of saying it was so compelling. But when you look at them now, they seem like period pieces, but they are nonetheless extraordinary. Um, and for the audience who grew up with them, I'm sure they'd like to see them again. But our way of doing music for a younger audience is to do things like ten pieces, to... To make programs that speak with the technology and the style and the way that young people consume things today, and classical music fits very well in that, of
0: course. So, so uh, Bernstein those Bernstein films now, those Bernstein I think they were called lectures, weren't they?
1: They were called young people's concerts. Uh,
0: how is it that you think they don't? How How is it challenging from a well? I statement? think. Well, I think
1: if you just look at the young person's guide to the orchestra. It's Malcolm Sargent, who's to be respected and is amazing. But he's talking in this very clip-posh British accent that, you know, and he's very formal in a suit, in a, you know, black and white stark picture. And um, it it just, it just, it just feels very, it's just out, it's out of date in its presentation. But what it's communicating is not out of date. But, you know, we we would not, you can look at that as a piece to respect from the past, because it was a very, very significant piece of television and one of the first of its kind. And we have built on that, and that's how, why we now make things like Ten Pieces, which are doing the same job, but speaking to the younger audience in, a, in, in the way that you would speak to them today.
0: Uh, Ten Pieces is, uh, a, is an unqualified success. I don't know if that's the right phrase. I'm trying to be complimentary. Uh, no,
1: it's very sweet. Unqualified success sounds not it?
0: Because it is. I remember going to a BBC Symphony Orchestra mm. Ten Pieces event in in Kent somewhere, and it was the first time in a long, long time that I'd been in the same room as four hundred and fifty children all going. Yeah, all going wild. Yeah. Going the wild, yeah. And, and there was there was a very special energy mm. about the place. Mm. Um, are you striving to sort of capture that kind of thing in television? Is Sorry. that is that like the holy grail?
1: it is the holy grail i i think television is a very highly crafted thing sometimes we try to do very brave things and it doesn't quite work you know uh failure is part of success sometimes that you try something and you think oh it didn't quite work and then you but you learn from that and you get it better next time so um television is very difficult to do and also with classical music you're you know if you're in a concert hall you've got the audience you've gone to listen to stephen Hough or whatever uh they don't want to have noisy cameras around them they mm. don't want people moving around them they want to concentrate on the moving he's got to remember a, a whole blooming concerto that's what 45 minutes long or whatever and, and he's concentrating there and does not want cameras flying over his head and so there's a certain thi- skill to, to to cap to getting in on that without being in the way of it do you see what I mean whereas mm. you know you go to Glastonbury and frankly you have cameras all over the shop because it's loud and noisy there's more flashing lights on the stage or anywhere else so you know, in rock, it's 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 a different matter. It's altogether. also a
0: phenomenally difficult event to tell a story mm. about. A concert is a phenomenally mm. difficult storytelling opportunity. It
1: is very 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 difficult to sort of capture, and that's because the thing there's I've- not
0: really very much going on visually.
1: No, well, you see, my it's funny you should say that because I again I said talk to the audience a lot, and, and one we did some I met the audience once to talk about the proms, and I said to this woman, you know, what do you like about the proms on television? And she said, well, I love the introduction and all the information about the music. Great. And then when the music starts, I do the ironing. And I went, you do what? <laughs> um, and so there was this quick problem when I first joined the BBC that people were using television like the radio. Because they wanted to hear what, you know, the presenter had to say. And then they literally do the ironing or pay their bills. And so suddenly it, it went from being television to radio. Because the concerts were, in uh, before I joined the BBC, they were, the hall was just a sort of lit with white lights the picture was not that interesting to look at, and so all our care, our directors who carefully give you here's the flute, here's the whatever. They're, they're, she said, "Oh, I don't, I don't watch that. I don't care. I care when I see the flute or the oboe or what you know." And you're going, "Oh my God!" We spent hours figuring that out, and um, so then we thought, "Well, it's because the picture's boring." And and actually, my first prom season, we redesigned the hall, and for telly nights, we put we put lights in. Uh, and we made it look beautiful, you know, and then people going, oh, they look so beautiful. And people like, Oh, my God. So the people
0: didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, but they did. They did.
1: Uh, but then then the interesting thing that happened to us was then we didn't there were no lights on the radio nights. So the audience that went to the concerts also on the radio nights would say started saying to me. Why is there no lighting on the radio nights? Because the audience in the hall also liked the lighting because they come for a night out, and, they, and this atmospheric lighting meant the feel made them feel that like they were in a, at a real special, really special event. And so now you see the proms are lit every night, not just on television nights.
0: What's um, what's, e- what's easier about Glastonbury?
1: Well, they're they're comparable and incomparable, all in the same way. Glastonbury is not. Is not easy, uh, but for different reasons. Because uh, it's a very you know in, in rock music, Glastonbury is the pinnacle. Um, if you are performing on the Pyramid Stage, it is as terrifying as 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 playing in uh, you know in the Proms or doing an epic class you know opening at Covent Garden or something. It is the pinnacle of success to play that stage, and um, artists wait sometimes a lifetime to do that look at kylie she only just did it mm-hmm. um but not her fault because she was ill but she she thought she'd never do it and now she's done it um and um the difficulty with um glastonbury is sometimes the conditions um the weather you know all kinds of things like that um but at glastonbury also it's a it's a totally different style of shooting because we have a lot of t- cameras and technology to cover a rock concert because there's so much going on on the stage. If, the, you know, if it rains and there's a thunderstorm, they have to turn off the electrics or we all get electrocuted. So sometimes the weather can screw us and stuff. So it's complicated because it's a massive Is event really that? I mean, no, like, yeah, it like, can. Really? Yeah, so if, it, if it, there's a if thunderstorm. if it rains, they turn off the electrics? No, no, no. If there's a thunder and lightning, they, they have to turn it off. Right. They have to turn off the stages, yeah. Was you know, actually, Peter Taylor, the, who does all the cabling, <laughs> he more than that. He's.
0: I imagine He's a, he has a team of people. He
1: told me once how many thousands of miles of cables there are, on. and one year we had the wettest Glastonbury in history, and they actually had to throw all the cables away because they're submerged in in water. So it's electricity submerged in water and mud. But so, in terms
0: of storytelling, in terms of television, what what is well, easier well, about the, Glastonbury?
1: Well, the difference with Glastonbury is you. This year, particularly. You know, the artists come. I mean, look at Kylie's set, for instance. She And Stormzy, they come with technology, lighting, um, projection. You know, they have dancers. They have band members. They have so much going on on the stage. You know, when you go to film a classical concert, uh, nobody's moving around. Um, They are in set positions. The cameras are pointed at those positions. Whereas at Glastonbury, you've sort of got to follow the artists around. I mean... I don't know if you saw the Rolling Stones at Glastonbury, but Mick Jagger didn't stand still for two and a half hours. I mean, he was running all over the shop. And so you're following the artists around all the time, trying to keep up with them. Um, Whereas in a classical concert, they are just, you know, Stephen Huff is sitting at that keyboard and he's going to sit there for an hour and play something. And so the trick of recording that is to how to make a static thing interesting on the lens and where to get the angle from and at what moment. And it's a a much more subtle thing in a way um although at glastonbury also you janet fraser crook who mostly directs the pyramid stage uh is highly skilled at capturing all those little looks and moments that you want to get and at glastonbury they rehearse off-site and then they come on site and they do it so it's totally totally live and some and the proms similarly is totally live and sometimes they the artists don't don't rehearse they just come and they do a sound check and they go on.
0: I'm interested to know so what It's live, might, live television. What I'm interested to know impressive. what might help, uh, what might transfer from Glastonbury coverage to the Proms. What might?
1: I just have to think about that a I minute. Mean, I think, I think sensitivity to the artist. It's just to capture the you you have to. The artist is giving a performance, and it, um, and that performance has to be captured for the audience at home, and in Glastonbury. There is a look to that performance as there is in ballet. The the whole thing is in front of you in a big stage. Um, And the camera picks out bits of that. And by editing it or cutting it in a certain order, you're changing what it is. And so the question is it needs to be a truthful expression of the thing that you're looking at. Um, And that's the same in the proms that you, when you're filming an orchestra, it needs to be a, a sort of truthful. Expression of the thing that you're looking at because the camera is making the choice for the audience as to what you're going to see. And so the camera is telling me I'm going to look at the oboe now, whereas if I was in the hall, I might have my eyes shut. And I I think with the proms on television, it is a different matter because people are transported in a different way by the music. They're probably sitting down. If you're watching Glastonbury on television, you could be dancing around your living room.
0: If you imagine somebody like me watching your work on television what would you want somebody like me to be thinking about what you've achieved?
1: Would you mean in concerts or in documentary? Oh. I do documentary as well.
0: Um, in concerts first. In concert. <laughs> okay. So if
1: it's a concert...
0: What do you want me to be thinking about what you've done?
1: I want you to feel that you're at the event, that you're not witnessing something you didn't get a ticket for, that you are immersed in the event and that's the trick of great filming to make you feel as if the event is sort of we've delivered the event into your living room and if it's documentary I want you to feel totally gripped that you can't turn it off because you've got to know what this person's going to say next
0: did you commission the John Bridcut yes the
1: Janet Bacon yes yes Yes. It's a completely riveting film. You're gonna say you didn't like it now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be lost there. Well don't. this is this is a really interesting moment. No, no. I wasn't gonna say that's the Oh good, no, that's good, that's so really good. I am just waiting. That was great. I thought I'd see saw... how long I could have that hang. Um, <laughs> uh, he's an amazing documentary maker.
1: No, well John John and I have done a lot of biographies together, Elgar, Britton, um Rostropovich, um and and, and with Janet um we i i i'm trying to remember how that came up but obviously she's a great great artist and i i knew her from my one days and um you know to to singers she's she's the pinnacle of greatness how to do it you know um and young singers really look up to her and i and john i think bumped into her somewhere and said why don't we make a film about Janet Baker I thought oh okay we will and so the way we stay.
0: You work. As yeah, well, editor? well, yeah, we do. We go. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay.
1: Right. So the first thing we do with these biographies is we send John off to do an interview. Um, we did, we've done that quite a lot. More. So he went off to do an interview with her, and he came back, and she was astounding. And then we knew what the film should be, because it, it's quite intrusive to interview an artist mm. about their career. And I mean, like David Bowie never wanted to talk about his career, but luckily for us, he'd been interviewed so much in his life that you could kind of get him to speak in the films, even though it wasn't a new interview. But when he, we made our first film about Burley when he was alive, and he said, oh, I don't want to be in it. Because um, he, he said, I can't talk about what I do. But some artists say, I can't, I can't talk about it. I mean, Joan, we made a film about Joan Arma Trading, and she sat in this office saying, I can't talk about what I do. And we thought, oh, we can't make the film then. <laughs> this isn't really going well And to then, the, <laughs> then the, the young director, female director, Poppy Edwards, who was making her first film for Beauty 4, she went and hang out, hung out with Joan, and Joan has now spoken about everything, because she trusted the filmmaker, and um, I think with Janet, Dame Janet, two things really: a, she is a great, great artist, and b, she's you know a very brilliant and articulate human being, and c, John as a director is brilliant at getting people to be able to articulate what what they what has happened to them, and that I think actually of all the films I've done, we've done all these films and. Tried out lots of things like that, listening thing and everything. And we tried lighting, and we tried it all out. The thing is, looking straight at the lens mm-hmm. and stuff. I think for this, this is actually a masterpiece. This film. I think it brought together everything he's done in the other films, but in a, it's a real masterpiece.
0: Uh, there's something special about it. which there's something is unique that, about it. Um, uh, it is so touching at the end mm. that I don't, uh, for anybody, if I'm talking to somebody who's never seen it or who hasn't seen mm. it, I don't want to tell them what the ending is. No.
1: Well, uh, I'm, and that's well, something, actually,
0: about sto- that's something magical about storytelling.
1: Maybe I shouldn't say what I was about to say then.
0: Well, I don't know what you were going to say. So you maybe can you edit it, can't you? Well, okay. Would you? <laughs> don't say no, but it. I, I it's say just it, I was <laughs> going to
1: say that this very sad news is that her husband Keith died two weeks ago. Yeah, and so actually, which makes the film even more profound because mm. he was so important in her life and John rang me and I thought, oh, thank God we... Because it's one of those moments you think, thank God we did it when we did. Because we could have not done it until next year. Or yeah, something. that we doesn't spoil...
0: Left. Actually, that news doesn't spoil, spoil, the the spoil the end of the film. It. That, because it, okay. it did, that ending did come as a complete Because for your
1: listeners who who haven't seen it, and we will show it again, I, didn't, I don't want to spoil the film by mm. talking about it.
0: Uh, so... So John cut's work mm. is where I feel as though I connect. Yes. Uh, what is it about his storytelling, about his work, that, that might mean that I connect with him, do you think?
1: Gosh. Um, well, I think there's a sort of... It comes back to that thing of, do you feel connected to it? And I think that sometimes documentaries, you can feel that the person's being interviewed and they're a bit set back from you. And the extraordinary thing about John's way of filming is he makes you feel as if you're sitting next to that person in the room. And I, for me, you know, when Janice is talking straight to the camera and he gets her face just looking at you, you, you really feel like you're sitting across the table with, from her or sitting next to her on a sofa or something. You, you're you so close up to the subject um, as if you were in the room with that person. I, uh, for me, that's what he captures. And not everybody can get that because I just had a, Filmed interview before you, and the moment somebody points a camera at me, I feel like I've gone into a weird place because I hate cameras. I hate being filmed. Ironic, given that I make everybody else be yes, filmed, yes, I know, I'm a two faced. I know, but um yeah, but there's the something about John. I mean, John is highly, highly, highly skilled. He's done loads of films and he has tried out these techniques like filming people listening to music and responding, and these are techniques he's tried out over many films. And um, and they, they, they you know by practicing it, it gets more profound. And I think in the Janet Baker film, all the little techniques he used sort of fitted, in, they suddenly sort of all fitted together in the most profound way. Not least because she herself is just so extraordinary the way she talks about her life. And i so it's partly to do with the getting the subject to be open enough, like we're speaking now in quite an open way, and. To get the subject to feel feel comfortable enough to be that open, and that is John's real skill, I think. Trust. The subject has to trust you. Otherwise, they, they they hold back.
0: You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good classical music podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Audioboom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, post a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.